look, it's just great to be here. I don't know how many times I've been here now. Um, man, imagine if I got frequent fly points for coming to Elevate Church. I'd, I reckon I could fly to <laughs> LA by now for free. <laughs> Oh, no, it's, it's uh, so good uh, to be with you, and not just to be with you, to, to see what God is up to. And he's taking you to a place you've never been before. And isn't that what we signed up for? Yeah. Ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? Yeah. You really don't want church life or being a Christ follower to almost be like Groundhog Day. Um, no, God's, God is doing a new thing, and that's very much the spirit of the message I want to bring to you this morning. And if you do like titles, some of you are really into titles. Uh, I think last message, I think it was Life Poured Out. And by the way, <laughs> this will sound funny coming from me who preached the message. That message ruined me. It really has messed me up, and I'm still coming to terms with it. Not so much me, the preacher, but the essence of the message, and Mary, she has just ruined my day. Um, This woman who just poured out everything on Jesus in a moment, it was reckless, it was awesome, and God appreciated it, and yet a whole lot of disciples thought it was an absolute waste. So this morning's message is the unfamiliar, our new sweet spot. Oh, I, I like that title. <laughs> I, might, I might copyright that. The Unfamiliar, Our New Sweet Spot. Now, is there anyone here that plays golf or tennis? Just a show of hands if you're into golf or tennis. Oh, not many of you. Yeah, a few. You would know the term sweet spot. Yes. So let's just look at uh, tennis. Um, there is a spot on the tennis racket called the sweet spot. And probably no one understands and operates in the sweet spot more consistently than Roger Federer. He may not be the tallest man, the strongest man, the biggest serve, but this man has consistently, has been graceful, appears effortless, but his concentration, his eye on the ball, He's consistent, that one hand backhand, that you, you can hear the sound of the ball hitting the sweet spot. He can feel the sweet spot. He knows when he hits the ball exactly in that spot on the racket. He can feel it. He feels the rhythm. He feels the follow through. He feels the power that is exerted, almost appearing effortless because he understands. It's not just about exerting power, it is about the sweet spot. The strength of his forearm, his timing, technique has made this man one of the great athletes of all time. And so this message today, the unfamiliar, our new sweet spot. Because sweet spot isn't just that place on a tennis racket or a golf club or sound engineers know the term sweet spot when it comes into music. But we all have our sweet spot. A place 
where we are at our absolute best. And none of us have arrived, but God is moulding us and grooming us and saying, there is more, I'm doing more in your life, that you are moving into your sweet spot individually, but as Elevate Church, you are discovering your sweet spot. Let's start by saying that God has ordained the familiar. We are creatures of habit. There is no doubt about it. For most of us, tomorrow will look like most days of the week. We'll get up at usually the same time. We may touch that little snooze button, maybe once or twice. But we'll get up, we'll have our routine, you know, we'll probably have the same sort of cereal, um, drink the same sort of coffee. You get in your car or you get on a bus or whatever it is, you go the same route to school, to university, to work. You probably sit in the same seat. And Monday, Tuesday, the way through to Friday is much the same. It's the same every day, every week, throughout the year. You know, we are creatures of habit. Sometimes even in church life, we can park in the same parking bay. You may be sitting in the same area or even in the same seat. Yes, it is possible that, you know, some like the front, some like the back, some like the middle, some like the right, some like the left. And it's, uh, some of you have the same conversation you have every Sunday coming to church. And it's usually about one of you being late. Or I wonder what's going to happen today. I wonder who's speaking. I wonder what songs we, you know. And, and after the service, we may have the same sort of conversations with the same sort of people. And there's a part in which that's okay. We are creatures of habit, that there in every day there are rhythms and routines and we have rituals. I read very widely. I read lots of books by lots of different people, listen to podcasts, CEOs, entrepreneurs, different people in leadership, millionaires, elite athletes. And it's interesting, all, just about all of them have morning rituals. Uh, first one, you know, get out of bed is a good start. But no, for some of them, this might surprise you, for a number of these amazing men and women, one of their first rituals is to make the bed. And you think, what's that all about? But they, they believe, no, you're starting with a really good mindset. You're doing something the same. It's a discipline. You do it. And within a few minutes, tick, I've already started the day well. Then they might have some routine. A lot of them, they start the day by drinking a lot of water. Before they have their coffee, they drink, you know. They understand that their physiology, they understand I'm actually dehydrated. So the first thing, I'm going to start my day every day with temperature, um, room temperature water. Uh, mindfulness, meditation, breathing exercises, working out, all but exception. These men and women have the same routine and they would say... It serves them well. It sets up their day. It's all about um, training their brain and getting into a, a rhythm, a groove, getting into their sweet spot. And it's fascinating as we look at the Genesis narrative, we realise, well, God is into rhythms and routines. It was evening, morning. It was the first day. Evening, morning, second day, God has ordained, God created the rhythm of 
evening, morning. Isn't it great that God doesn't think, oh, I reckon just for four days, let's just do evening. And then just out of nowhere, okay, let's do five days during the summer, no evening, let's just do daytime and let's just mix it up. No, God is okay with rhythm. He's okay. He has seasons. Not every day is 28 degrees sunshine. Um, you know, that there are rhythms and there are seasons that in the life of Israel, in the life of the church, God has ordained rhythms and rituals. There is a time for fasting, but there is a time for feasting. You realise that there are more references in the Bible to feasting than fasting? Amen. <laughs> that uh, for six days you will work, but on the seventh day you will rest. That there are times of coming together as a congregation, but then there are times of being scattered. There are times of engaging in community. There are times to disengage and get times of solitude and silence. And so I think because, you know, God has ordained rhythm and we're creatures of rhythm and routines, it's, it's a good thing. And out of that having morning routines and rituals and even this coming together every week. And some of you might get together midweek. But they serve us well to a point. And our brains in particular like routine because there's a part of our primal brain that is all about our survival and protection. And the moment we do something different or something that is unfamiliar, the first time you did a bungee jump, the first time you took up cycling and your feet were clipped into the pedals, the brain is saying, this is not good for your survival. I'm calling out, I'm trying to create a physiological response, fight, freeze or flee. I want you to survive. And so God has ordained the familiar. God cooperates. God is wholly present in the familiar, the rhythms and the rituals. And it is part of us being effective. It's part of our growth. But there is more. Because the same God who has ordained rhythms and rituals and routines, who has ordained evening and morning and work and rest has also said, behold, I am doing a new thing. I have a new name for you. You have new songs to sing. I am providing you with a new wineskin and new wine. So the second point First point being God has ordained the familiar. The second point, and this is where we're going to spend more time, God has ordained the unfamiliar. Because as we look closely at Scripture, not just certain parts of Scripture like the Genesis narrative, but as we look at all of Scripture and we really look at the ways of God, we notice He intentionally and consistently leads his people along unfamiliar paths. So, for example, you go to the book of Exodus, we read about God's people 
in captivity for some 430 years. They have now become institutionalised. As tragic and as devastating as captivity is, it's now familiar. Generation after generation after generation, it's all they know, life in Egypt under the tyranny of Pharaoh. Building and building, getting beaten, rations, and just that sense of being humiliated and belittled. And it's like they became familiar with it. But behold, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to take you along an unfamiliar path. And he sends in Moses who agitates the Pharaoh. And for a time, the conditions are worse if you're an Israelite. And before you know it, after 430 years in captivity in Egypt, you're now wandering in the wilderness. Water is coming from rocks. Food is coming down from the skies. There is now a pillar of cloud guiding you in the daytime and a pillar of fire in the night. God is now speaking audibly and it's terrifying. They see Moses who is glowing because he's been in the presence of God. Then they notice that the very shoes that they're wearing aren't wearing out. If they were proudly sponsored by Nike, Nike would be out of business. For 40 years, the souls are still the same. 40 years is a long time to be wandering in the wilderness. And it was very intentional because it, took, it would take approximately two days to go from Egypt into the unfamiliar promised land of Canaan. But it took 40 years to change the culture of the people. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of the people, to break the familiar, to break the familiar of slavery. Because isn't it amazing? Time and time again, we want to go back to Egypt. It was better back in Egypt. Why can't we go back? We had leeks and garlic. and It's like, what sort of diet is that? But they, they were so deceived that they thought life is better in Egypt because it was familiar. But God is saying, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I'm breaking slavery. I'm going to take you through the wilderness for 40 years. I'm going to create a new generation who are going to get ready to do a new thing, who are going to occupy new territory. And they go into this new territory of Canaan, a place they have never been before. And then you start reading, you know, Joshua and Judges and Kings and you realise they have to do battle. And there is no blueprint. There is no familiar. This is how you do battle. The first battle, all I want you to do is march around in a city and blow your trumpets. And it's going to miraculously collapse. Whoa, awesome. Can we do it again? No, because I don't want that to become familiar. The next time you do battle, you're going to be severely outnumbered and you've only got 300,000 men, but it's still, you've still got too many. I'm going to reduce it to 300. And under Gideon, they had victory. Another battle. Okay, you've got a shepherd boy. You've got an intimidating Philistine giant. 
David, don't wear Saul's armour. Just use your gear, use the slingshot, and with a little pebble, bring the giant down, bring the nation down. Unfamiliar. God is wholly present in the familiar kingdom rhythms and rituals and routines, but God has also ordained the unfamiliar. And to a disobedient nation of Israel, this is what he said, and this is going to be a focus now for the next few minutes. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 16. Isaiah speaking prophetically to a disobedient nation. This is what God is saying. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. For most of us, our first experience of something new creates anxiety and fear. As I said, it's part of their brain at times dominates and takes over and it's all about preservation. It's all about survival. Do you remember your first day of school? Now, for some of you, it was very exciting. Maybe you're an extrovert and, and, you know, your first day, your first week of school was awesome. But for a lot of us, we had the familiar. We're at home with mummy and we can sleep in and, you know, sometimes lunch will be at 12 o'clock, sometimes it'll be about 2 o'clock and we watch TV and we watch videos if you're my age or actually if you're my age, we didn't have videos we watched Play School and Romper Room and, you know, it was at the round window, the square window, and it was just, it was just great. And then there's sleep time and play time, and it was just great. And then, oh, tomorrow you're starting school. You're going to wear a uniform. Uniform. You're going to get up at this time. You're going to have a teacher, and you, you, her name is not Mummy. My teacher's name was... Miss Quig, and we used to call her Miss Pig. And, and, um, and there are going to be about 20 other kids, and some of them are going to be bullies. Some of them are going to be really talkative. Some of them are going to be mean to you, and you're going to learn to count, and you're going to learn the alphabet. And it was, I don't know about you, my first day of school, the bell rang, and I thought it was lunchtime. But it wasn't lunchtime, it was play lunchtime. And so everyone knew the routine. They got their apple, their lamington, whatever it is, they went out for play lunch. I went out with my sandwich, my Vegemite sandwich. And on my first day, I got it wrong and I started crying. And Miss Quig said, what is it, Robert? <laughs> I've got my lunch and not my play lunch. You know, I've blown it my first day. And it was just like, so anyhow, we come to terms with primary school. And before you know it, you're at the top of the ladder. You're the best. You're calling teachers by the first name. It's just great. And then you start high school. It's like you're surrounded by adults. 
And no longer one teacher, one classroom. You've got multiple teachers and multiple classrooms and there's about 2,000 kids and it's, you've got to go to block A, then you go geography over here and it's like, I hope I don't do the play lunch. You know, it's, no, you don't call it play lunch. And for some reason, they choose colours that are disgusting, these burgundy greens and browns. It's like, and if you went to a private school, I was public, but my wife was private, you get to wear hats. <laughs> Easy targets at the bus stop, yeah, the private kids. And again, you know, we, we go from school to uni and uni to work, and we go from being single to being married. And then can you remember the first child? The first birth, the first time taking your child home, it was terrifying. There's no manual and it's just, again, the brain's going, Rob, Rob, you're out, this is out of control. This is unpredictable. This is about survival. You're doing the new, the unfamiliar. But remember, along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. God is in the unfamiliar. He wants to do something in the stretch. He wants to do something when things feel awkward, when things are out of control. So let's look at the unfamiliar, our new sweet spot. As I look at 23 years of pastoring the church, which for most part was known as Beachway, we went for a very non-religious word. People said, what's the name of your church, Beachway? You go, what's that? I said, I don't know. I just didn't want to be the first tabernacle, whatever, Shekinah glory of God, chapel or something. <laughs> and we met in a pub. And we didn't sit in rows, we sat around tables with the smell of stale beer and tobacco, with the barman at the back swearing because he has to, you know, um, put on the overhead projector for us. Um, we used to have a break in the middle called the muffin break. So we'd sing a few vineyard songs and then we'd have the muffin break. Donuts, instant coffee. Back then, 23 years ago, instant coffee was the rage. Then I'd do a bit of a talk and then, you know, people come to the front, pray, and then we'd hang around and sometimes have a barbecue and go for a swim in the pool at the pub. It was a very good arrangement. And, and for a lot of, if I look at 23 years, there was rhythm. You know, we, guess what we did? We, we sang songs. It's funny, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared with a Baptist guy <coughs> what a typical C3 service looked like. And at the end, he said, sounds like our service. You know, we do three songs, usually two fast, one slow. During the vineyard days, it was all vineyard, but maybe a little bit of Jeff Bullock. And then when Darlene Check came on the scene, shout to the Lord, we sang that every Sunday. But we changed around. Sometimes it was the first song, sometimes it was the second. <laughs> but there was this sense of rhythm. We came together once a week. We sang songs. There was teaching. We did small groups, they were called home groups and they were called life groups and they were called connect groups. But there was a sense of what we did, that there was rhythm, there were rituals, like muffin breaks. And when we stopped the muffin break after about nine years, my goodness, I thought I was gonna lose the church. We're creatures of habit. Beachway without the muffin break, what is that? Well, anyhow. But along the way, we introduce the new and the unfamiliar. You like that? You, you, uh... <laughs> so one of the new things we did in 2001, up until that time, yeah, we've been going for a few years, and oh, man flu is really kicking in. Be gone. <coughs> um, you know, we've got a bit of credibility, you know, you know oh, you're at the Vineyard Church, meeting the pub, but there was a sense, uh, 
My son had a birthday party at a place called the Fun Factory at uh, Fremantle. It was this big indoor play centre. And we came home and Karen said, I think God just spoke to me. And I said, what? Where to build a fun factory somewhere in the Osmond Park area? Like, how do you do that? Who's doing that? What church is doing that? There are none. How much money do we need? We did a bit of research. We probably need half a million dollars because no bank will lend us money. So us, you know, we were probably 120 people at this stage. We raised half a million dollars to start this thing called the Beach House. Uh, we moved into a 3,000 square metre facility. The rent at the time was $200,000 a year. It eventually went up to half a million dollars a year. And so from week number one, it had to make a profit. It was a not-for-profit, but it had to make a profit, if you know what I mean. That was a huge risk. We put everything on the line, financially, credibility, everything. And before we knew it, um, a couple of hundred people would go through our doors every day. And there were times, oh, there's Danny Green. Oh, there's Ben Cousins. Oh, there's, you know, John Walsfold. And before you knew it, um, celebrities, you know, our, our um, level of celebrities in little old Perth, you know, it's like uh, oh, some of the news reporters, you know. And, you know, all of a sudden we've got this year after year, you know, thousands of people are coming through, people getting saved. We had a, a lady with uh, mental health issues and she told her psychiatrist, I don't know why, but every time I go to this thing called the beach house, my depression lifts. What, what do you think that is? Is I don't know, just keep showing up. So she talked to the a lady who was serving her coffee, said, this funny thing happens, depression lifts. She said, you are aware that this is operated by a church and she ended up giving her life to Jesus. It was... Radical. It was crazy. Uh, we're growing. We thought, let's plant churches. So in 1999, we planted a church in Cottesloe, and that grew to about 130 in its prime. Uh, 2010, we started another church in Scarborough. That's now close to 300 people. And it was costly. It was messy. It was like, oh, you know, I'm the only person my age now at Beachway because those four other people are now part of the church plant. Thanks, Rob, for dividing our youth group and, you know, the, the, the stuff that you have to deal with, the unfamiliar, the messiness, the awkwardness. The, but that became our sweet spot. Both the familiar, the rhythms of worship and gathering and small groups and prayer, but those times where it was, okay, Beachway, time for something new. Over a few years, um, short-term missions was the thing. We just started saying, guys, if Beachway's your home, you need to have a Bible and a passport. We had about 100 adults at a period of time, probably over a few years, 100 adults went on a short-term mission trip. That was a third of our adults at one stage had been to India, Vanuatu, Philippines, Uganda, coming back radically changed and ruined forever. New, new, unfamiliar, unfamiliar. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. So let's get back to this idea, this concept of a sweet spot. The sound, the feel, the power exerted. You, individually and as a church, have a sweet spot. A place where you're at your absolute best. Part of your sweet spot are your rhythms and routines. But for a lot of us, we live 100% of our time in rhythms, routines, and rituals. 
And so I want to finish by asking some questions. I like asking questions. Or more, now this is not so much a question, it's more imagine. Imagine living daily with the tension of embracing kingdom rhythms and routines and at the same time welcoming the new and the unfamiliar. Imagine life where the unfamiliar is your new normal. That your normal is new, uncharted, unpredictable, unfamiliar. Imagine life where you learn to be comfortable with the unfamiliar that you learn to train or retrain your brain that keeps saying, protect, survive, save. And it's like, thank you for doing your role, but for too long you have dominated the landscape of my thinking. There are other parts of the brain that would also like to say something. Like, yeah, let's do something new. Imagine life where the unfamiliar is your ultimate sweet spot. Imagine being at your absolute best when you are stretched, where you are going into uncharted territory, where along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. Now for a question. When was the last time you did something for the first time. When was the last time you did something for the first time? It's time to assault our brain and our body that loves routine and say the new normal is the new. So let me give you a couple of examples if this is all very new. And here are some things that I've done, very intentional. And you can start small. In fact, I encourage you to start small. Here's something I did. Do it for about a month, at least a month, maybe two months. Start brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand. It will mess you up. I tell you, I remember doing it for a month and, you know, I'm right-handed and, <laughs> and the brain is going, Rob, this is really weird. And it's, it's, you know, I'm probably, there's probably, Clark is going, yeah, this is good because you're not brushing properly. But what you're doing, you're sending a message to your brain, the unfamiliar is okay. It's a small thing, but sometimes small things, you know, from little things, big things grow. So start doing that. Or on your way to work or on your way home from work, go on Google Maps and go a different way. But it might take you five minutes long, but that's not the point. Break the routine. Do something different. Now, you might have a great morning routine that involves reading the Bible. Have you been reading the Bible the same way from the same translation year after year, decade after decade? At times you feel stuck. Read from a different translation. Read the Bible rather than in your study or wherever. Read it outside. Go to the park. Keep intentionally day after day 
bringing in the new, the new even with the familiar. Or here's another one. Rather than reading a different passage every day for a month, read the same passage. Saturate yourself with Psalm 139 or Romans chapter 8. Read the same passage day after day. It's familiar, but it's unfamiliar because you're breaking your routine. And in the breaking of the routine, something new is happening and Holy Spirit has an opportunity to do something brand new. Learn a new skill. I was 50 when I thought, I'm, I'm going to give cycling a go. Those feet getting clipped in for the first time, horrifying. Going along the road, West Coast Highway, and after about 20 minutes, the guy told me, I'm going to fall. I haven't fallen. I am awesome. Uh, I turned a corner and I fell. <laughs> All the traffic going along West Coast Highway. <laughs> but I got up and it's like, but this is good. I'm 50 and I'm learning a new skill. I'm doing something for the first time. Let me finish with this. The reason why we can do this with courage is there is something familiar in the unfamiliar. And it's our edge and it's our advantage. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. The familiar in the unfamiliar is nothing less than the empowering presence of God. And he is saying to you and to Elevate Church, come on, allow me to guide you along unfamiliar paths. God bless you.